Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Welcome to Still Watching WandaVision. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. If you are just joining us for the first time in the middle of WandaVision, what we do every week on this podcast is that it's usually just Richard or me. Usually we break down a TV show that we are currently watching and sort of obsessing over. For this very comic booky show, we have brought on our colleague Anthony Bresdikin. He will join us in the back half or join me in the back half to get like very granular about some very nerdy shit. But Richard is here to be uh, reasonably granular about some comic book stuff uh, as we discuss uh, the latest episode of uh, WandaVision episode six. Uh, Richard. I mean, overall, I just want, I just really want to quickly, uh, hear your overall, like where, where would you rank this among the other WandaVision episodes? Uh, pretty high, I think, because I think one, they, they really nailed the sitcom parody in this episode, mm-hmm. um, for a variety of reasons that we can get into. Um, and two, I just thought the way it balanced, the sitcom trappings with the larger mystery felt um, that was a, it was a good mix, you know? Um, and I think that it also intriguingly um, provided not answers, but sort of further clues to kind of lead us down a, a theory path, you know, while maybe precluding others, you know, I think it, it, it's starting to clarify things, you know, there's three episodes left. So uh, this is about when they should be doing that. 
Excellent. Um, so yeah, so you will get into all of that. We are discussing episode six, all new Halloween spooktacular exclamation mark. So if you haven't seen that episode yet, you're going to want to hop off until you do. Um, we usually have an interview on this podcast with someone involved in the production of the show. Some, a cast member, a writer, et cetera. Uh, we do not have an interview this week, but we have a supersized, uh, interview next week with, and I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany? Yeah. That's I think how that's... they say it in Brittany. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. the Bettany's of Brittany. So, uh, yeah, Paul Bettany will be joining us, uh, no less than Vision himself next week to talk about, uh, everything that's going on. Uh, he had a very, uh, tough time at the end of this episode. We also love to read uh, your emails. You can always email us, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. We got a bunch of emails sort of early in the morning this week uh, as well. So all of you midnight viewers of WandaVision were emailing us, and that was really fun. Uh, Richard's going to read a couple, and then we've got a couple we'll be reading in the back half with Anthony as well. So Richard, what do you got for us? Uh, well, first up, we have an email from Miles, uh, and he writes, uh, I started reading the comic Vision, which is so dark and angsty. I love it. I bought this comic after reading House of M, eager for more clues and plot lines relating to the show WandaVision. I just finished the recent episode and found a fun parallel to a part of the Vision comic. In the comic, Vision's brother, I forget his name, comes to live with the Vision family under the guise of a caring uncle. He's later revealed to be a spy trying to understand Vision's motives behind the idyllic family life he's created for himself. In the recent episode of WandaVision, the fast, hot one, Wanda's brother, does the same thing, <laughs> probing Wanda for details as to how she's done all this, control an entire town. I assume Evan Peters, the hot one, was sent in to figure out what Wanda is up to, maybe by some well-meaning Avengers or X-Men, like in the Vision comic. Anyway, it seems to not work in the comic. I haven't finished it yet. Also, there's a harrowing scene where the witch Agatha kills a cat, and I found it very triggering. Also, who is Wonder Man? Actually, never mind. I don't care. And now, Joanna, are you ready for a twist? I'm ready. A twisty email about a twisty show. <laughs> Miles continues. Love hearing Richard and Joanna talk about the show. And hi, Richard. The cats miss you and send their love. Joanna, this is from my old roommate, Miles. <laughs> oh my god, the emailer was your roommate all along. <laughs> yeah, he has two wonderful uh, orange tabby cats, uh, and who I used to live with uh, when they were little kittens. Um, so, hello, Miles, thank you for the email. And I think that, you know, he brings up some really interesting theories about this episode, which is did Wanda really just, quote-unquote, recast her brother Mm -hmm. And the show is being clever by using a different Quicksilver from a different studio's version of a Marvel property. Or is there some other motivation for why the Evan Peters version, who, yes, by the way, like I, I would, <laughs> I would kill for him. Um, is he there with, with a little bit more agency than he's letting on? I mean, he definitely seemed very, uh, you know, you can trust me. Tell me, how are you doing all this? There was a lot of uh, suspicious lines of questioning in this episode. Um, I think it's a really good question for Miles. Also, he he thoughtfully attached photos of said cats. So thank you for that, Miles. Um, oh, yeah. There they are. <laughs> oh, he got a new rug, too. It looks good. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, like I was, I, I remain convinced that this is the Quicksilver from the Fox universe. I remain convinced that's, that's true, but there is a lot of things pointing in different directions in this episode. Like, for example, when she flashes to, 
a dead version of his body and he's got the bullet holes in him. That's how, you know, in, in the Fox universe, Quicksilver's still alive. Um, that was the fate of Aaron Taylor Johnson's Quicksilver in Ultron. So, you know, he has like that Quicksilver's memories. He dodges the question when she's trying, she's definitely trying to test him on whether or not, you know, he has the same Sokovian memories that she does. Um, and he is interrogating her. So there's a lot of suspicious stuff going on with Quicksilver here. I have like a, a really, really, really nerdy Anthony level, uh, theory about what's going on there, but, mm -hmm. um, I will agree that it is very suspect. What do you think? What do you suspect, Richard? Well, another emailer uh, messaged us about kind of all of the, the deep diving into multiverse stuff that seems to be maybe contained within this show, but also isn't going to be in the next Spider-Man movie uh, and will be in the uh, the Doctor Strange movie coming up. An Ant-Man movie has kind of already de de uh, delved into a bit of that um, and will continue to. Um, so I'm I'm assuming that there's... There's a reason they didn't just cast a random actor. You know what I mean? Like, like mm -hmm. there, there, this, there is a method to this. And I just, I guess my question is, uh, how much this Pietro knows? And because, you know, the other thing is the, the Quicksilver in Days of Future Past, the X-Men movie, he's like, he does not have the same storyline from what we can tell, you know, right. Right. Yeah. At all. And he's like a kind of slacker kid in his basement who like fucks around, you know, like, so it's not, it's not the same person. I mean, it's the same character, but so I don't know. I, I would have to assume that this is not just some kind of little glitchy, like uh, parallel thing that there is a, there is a bigger reason why um, he's there and definitely has a clear, um, sense of why he's there than he's letting on. The brother that um, Miles is referring to in the Vision comics is Victor Mancha, who is a Runaways character. Uh, things do not go well for him spying on the Vision family in that comic book. Spoiler for Miles, I suppose. Um, things don't go well for anyone in that comic book. It's very dark. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's interesting what they're plucking from different uh, comics and how they're refiguring it. It's it's really, really fascinating to me, the sort of mixed cocktail they've made out of about four different major comic books. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about those. Uh, what other emails do you want to talk about, Richard? Uh, we have an email from, well, maybe they want to be anonymous. I don't know. JS, let's say. Um, they say, uh, oh, they bring up um, a little kind of background detail. Uh, of, from this episode uh, on the movie marquee they write it, it was it very clearly has the movie the incredibles listed along with the parent trap if we're keeping with the decade by decade format this is the 90s correct is there a movie from the 90s with the same name as the animated 2000s film or are they combining both the 90s and 2000s into one episode obviously it could be seen as a reference to the super superhero family since the young and gets this powers right after but it seems strange to throw the wrong decade in for a meticulous show like this well, I guess my answer to that would be, it's not the wrong decade. <laughs> uh, this episode is clearly parroting directly Malcolm in the Middle, uh, which is a show that started in 2000. Uh, and I think the reason why we didn't get, I guess, what you could consider a full 90s sitcom is that family sitcoms in the 90s were around, certainly, but they weren't as, like, 
cool. They weren't friends mm-hmm. or Seinfeld, you know, they weren't ironic. It, you know, home improvement was around for a long time, but that was sort of, you know, uh, middle of the road, not, not, not really zeitgeisty. And Wanda seems to be really responding to the zeitgeisty things, which like a show like family ties was in the eighties or full house, but full house continued into the nineties. So I think that the last week's episode was, a, was, a, was, was encompassing a sort of nineties ethos. And now we're moving into a different, uh, TV era of television families. Right. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit. I agree with you. We talked about this a little bit when the very first episode was very clearly doing Dick Van Dyke. It was their quote unquote fifties episode with Dick Van Dyke show premiered in the sixties. So like, I think they're being a little loose with their decade defining um, sitcoms. And I think you're right that we're getting between family times and Malcolm in the middle, we're getting sort of like a, a loose bridge over the nineties, yeah. like early nineties, late nineties, sort of representing these two um, things. I think some people had thought I had thought because there's a shot of a very familiar uh, Afghan in the WandaVision trailer um, and some of the art that we would be getting a Roseanne episode. And a lot of people thought the nineties episode was going to be a Roseanne episode. Um, but that does not – this is, yeah, as you said, very clearly a Malcolm in the Middle episode. Um I think the Afghan that – do you know what I'm talking about? The, mm-hmm. the Afghan that sits on the back of the yeah. Roseanne couch? I think that might come into – I think what we might see as things uh wrap up here is some sort of like scra- sitcom scramble. Yeah. And in yeah. this sitcom scramble, you might see that iconic uh couch – throw from Roseanne. But uh yeah, this is Malcolm in the Middle. Um the parent trap I think it's really interesting. There's a lot of references to parents, specifically Wanda's parents, uh, in this episode. So I think that's one of the reasons why the parent trap, which was, I think came out in 94, was up there. Um, and I think it is a little like sort of winking nod to like, we're doing the nineties, but we're doing the early aughts at the same time. Um, I also wanted to point out that in the intro, I think we talked about this. I think I talked about this with you, Richard, but maybe just with Anthony in the intro to the seventies episode. Um, during, during that opening credits, you see on the marquee at that movie theater, they're playing Oz the Great and Powerful, which is, um, a 2000s movie, 2010s movie. So they're, you know, they're having fun with that marquee, uh, in different ways than just like decade faithful films. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like The Incredibles came out six years after, you know, Nancy Myers' Parent Trap movie, but in Wanda's brain, maybe they're kind of all swirled into one era. Right. Um, as right. they are for many people, you know, they're, they're, they're the, the adolescent movies of millennials, like older millennials, I guess, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that specifically to the Malcolm in the Middle issue, I, I just think that they got it so correctly you know the film yeah. style the humor the music the 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 opening credits the, the 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 font you know like it was just so well observed um i would have to imagine that has to that's owed to both the age of wanda that this is a more pertinent show for her in a way it was never it was contemporary with her ra- rather than a kind of nostalgia piece when she was younger right um and also that that's so true of the people making the show <laughs> You know, right. I was like Matt Shackman, who directed all the episodes like that's, you know, it makes sense that that would be a a show that he would be really dialed into. It's so funny. Like, I, I'm not 
Mal- I'm like aware of Malcolm in the Middle. I think I've watched like a couple episodes, but I'm not like a Malcolm uh, scholar. I did watch an episode to prep for this because I knew it was sort of a Malcolm pastiche-ish. Um But but I am aware of that larger 90s. It reminds me a lot of like Nickelodeon sort of Pete and Pete sitcomy yeah. stuff. Yeah, Pete and Pete exactly. So um, so yeah, yeah. They I, they just smashed it out of the park. Uh, with this one. I mean, I think the kids, the over-reliance on the kids wasn't my favorite because I don't, you know, like, I I, I yeah. would rather, like, be with the adults. But that's, you know, for Malcolm in the Middle episode, that's, of course, like, where you're going to be for a lot of it. So, um, But I think also if they're, so, if the kids are presumably, well, now they're, they're, they're coming into their powers, presumably they will be older, maybe teenagers next yeah. week. Like, you had to get to know them a little bit, you know? Yes. Um, yes so yes. it makes sense to me, uh, you know, and I, I don't know. I I think that there is maybe I'm overreaching now, but like you know, Malcolm in the Middle premiered 2000. It was both a synthesis of Nickelodeon kind of quirky shows, of Roseanne kind of you know middle class kind of family scramble. You know that they were not wealthy at all. Um, and then the world really, or certainly America really changed about a year later. Um, and everyone said, oh, is irony dead? No, it wasn't. It just changed and all this stuff. And, and it, <laughs> yeah. a, a show like that, like, like the year 2000, like it, it represented the sort of beginning of something and the end of something, which I think is really a parallel to what's happening in Wanda's world in this episode, um, where the kind of, the veil is being ripped from her eyes and other people's eyes. They are seeing the sort of like, like gone is the fi- the bright lit multicam fantasy of an older sitcom. Here is more, uh, an attempt at more like uh sober reality, but with humor and with, yeah. you know, um, and I think that that's really well mirrored um, on, on both sides of the episode, the parody stuff and the, the, the mythology stuff. I love that. Um, any other emails you want to read? Um, I don't have any start, but I think you might. Is that correct? Um, well, I, I have one correction that I want to read. And then, like I said, Anthony, and I will, we'll get into some of the nerdier stuff, but, um, there's this email from Steve, uh, who wrote in after our last week's episode to correct me on something. I think I gave, uh, accidentally gave Marvel and Kevin Feige a little too much credit for, I, I said, when, you know, if they pull off what is rumored that they're going to do in Spider-Man, the upcoming Spider-Man, which is bring in like Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man um, and put them all together. Um, you know, that that will be like one of the most ambitious uh, franchise blendings before. And and Steve reminded me that on the, uh, the DC Arrow, Arrowverse on TV, which is something that I have watched very faithfully in the past and then fell off a bit uh, in December 2019, they did their Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, which is actually even more ambitious than I was aware of on the margins of it. So they uh, they brought in Superman Returns, the 1990 Flash TV series, Tim Burton's Batman, Smallville, Lucifer, Birds of Fray TV series, Adam West Batman series, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League because Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller's Flash and Grant Gustin's Flash were in it and stuff like that. So there is a precedent for this in the, uh, the Arrowverse. And I apologize to DC fans for, uh, for not giving it its due. So there's my correction for that. Well, uh, a listener named Steve did write in, um, asking, uh, a kind of more summative question about 
WandaVision's place in the MCU yeah. and everything. And, and uh, he, he said, it's pretty obvious with the show Spider-Man's Doctor Strange that it's all going to lean hard into alternate realities and parallel universe. Uh, I'm wondering how yeah. you feel about if the general audience will be on board with this or able to keep up. I ask because several of my friends who are casual MCU watchers are already lost and frustrated by the show. The Evan Peters bomb was lost on them entirely. Um, and then he goes on to just kind of wonder, like, is, is this now going too far? Because, uh, as he writes, um, most of the Avengers so far have been basically beefed up military types yeah. or science tech based, not these kind of fantastical things. And now, I mean, but I would argue Thor. <laughs> Thor, Doctor Strange. You know. I think with Doctor Strange, um, or like Guardians of the Galaxy with like a talking raccoon and a tree, like when that stuff really hit, I think Marvel was emboldened to be like, okay, we don't need to just do super soldiers anymore, right? Um, I take Steven's point though, and Steve's point here, and I think that like, um, if someone, I think they're aware of that. I think they're aware that the quicks, the Evan Peters quicksilver bomb is not going to be the big revelation that it is for some people, you know what I mean? Uh, and it's why I have questions about, you know, in this episode, in the previous episode, Monica has been teasing this like super scientist aerospace engineer guy that she knows. And that's launched a bunch of theories about like, who could it be? Um, Anthony and I were talking about it last week. Uh, we were, we were entertaining some ideas about some women it might be, but she, in this episode, she said, my guy. So the, a very popular theory that feels like a little bit of a, uh, oh, I am about to use the word stretch. I apologize. Uh, is that maybe it is, uh, <laughs> John Krasinski as Reed Richards. And that's the kind of, you know, they're, they're being very coy. She's not saying who it is. So whoever it is, the reveal is supposed to be like an, oh my God moment, but hopefully not just an, oh my God moment for people who you know because there's another character called blue marvel people think it might be that but i was like but why would they hide that because that's not going to be a big bomb drop for people watching who are more casual viewers but i think if john krasinski shows up and you know people are a little more aware of the fantastic four than they are of the character blue marvel like something like that might be might feel like a bigger bomb do you know um but it's true like they are gambling on their on their audience coming along with them for some big swings right now. And I'm curious about you, Richard. Like, I know you've seen every Marvel movie um, and and the Fox X-Men and, you know, presumably a fan, Fantastic Four or two. But, um, you know, is 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 WandaVision in danger of losing you on on that front? No, and actually kind of I feel the opposite. And I don't, and I probably don't speak for. Uh, you know, a ton of Marvel, you know, casual watchers here, but like, I, I kind of embrace the, the, the world of this, the universe of this going in a more fantastical direction, because I would really like it if they could get a little bit unmired from like the military industrial complex stuff. (laughs) And I I think that so much of that has, I mean, you know, they they consult with the U S military and it just, it has this kind of imperialist energy to it that I don't love and have never really, you know, grooved with. Um, And, and not to say that X-Men and other fantastical things don't have their political allegories, but actually a lot of like X-Men has always been viewed as like a metaphor for difference for queer people, for people of color, for, you know, a- anyone who is marginalized. Um, 
and is tr- is fighting for their dignity and their right, civil rights, you know. Um, and I think that's a much more interesting direction for all of this to start pointing in um, than these questions of, you know, super, you know, Uber, what is it, Uber mentioned kind of this objectivist <laughs> right, right. Yeah. stuff that, that, that a lot of the Avengers movies have kind of been rooted in. Um, so I, I welcome it. I don't know that the other people are going to feel the same way. And but I also think it helped that I grew up watching the X-Men animated series and <laughs> not, I didn't have any of my own, but I would, I would, I would covet, covetously look at my friend's X-Men trading cards and learn all about, you know, Polaris and Havoc and all yeah. these other people who weren't on the, on the, on the show. Although Polaris, by the way, has a relationship to the Scarlet Witch in some of the lore, right? In that, isn't she her sister? Slash, they're both Magneto's daughters. I mean, or I feel like everyone is Magneto's kid at some point. You know what I mean? Right. Um. So, I did want to talk to you about that. Well, what's interesting is the, what the rumors that I've heard from Falcon and the Winter Soldier is that, which is the next uh, show up, which is a much a, a much more traditionally straightforward militaristic punch em up sort of show, and what's supposed to be the first show of the Disney Plus era. Um, but what I've been hearing lately about that show is that it will also be interrogating that sort of militaristic might is right, uh, super soldier, um, idea that, that is foundational to Marvel. And I think that is really exciting and potentially very interesting for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, and I also want to say in this episode, in this show, like we've got this, you know, we, we've, we've had previous installments of Marvel, like, um, Captain America Winter Soldier, which is my favorite Marvel movie, um, which is based on like 70s um, paranoia sort of spy thriller um, films. And in that one, like Hydra, which is like our Nazi analog, have have infiltrated the highest halls of governmental power. Right. And um, that would never happen. <laughs> that's that's a that's a really, really interesting thing. And And in this episode, we've got. Uh, this director character um, at sword. And I mean, he is up to some shady nonsense, right? Like there's something very, definitely very shady going on with him and his militaristic installation here. So I think that interrogation of militaristic governmental power and how it relates to like a post nine 11, um, Homeland Security, uh, you know, when, 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 when director Hayward is talking about, um, you weren't here after the snap, you don't know what it was like. So what we're dealing with is, is a world traumatized by a global terrorist event. You know what I mean? Like the population was, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, partially snuffed. And so you have these extreme reactions. A prevailing theory is that, you know, he's interested in visions body because he wants to turn vision into like a weapon or a super soldier or whatever it is, you know, to, to defend us all from another Thanos like event. And, you know, that's something that is familiar and something that it seems that the, that the Marvel universe uh, is looking at as a a very bad move. So, you know, I, I I think, I think they're, they're dancing around the edges of that already right now. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, no, it does. And I, I think, you know, there was obviously the, the snap, uh, or the blip, I guess right, they're calling right. it in this. Um, but also they fucking ruined upstate New York in Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah mean, I mean, the, yeah. Hudson the Valley is just like decimated. <laughs> the, the 9-11 parallels just like keep coming. I mean, cause it, like this, this, 
whole franchise, Iron Man, was inspired directly by, you know, the the war in Iraq and stuff yeah. like that. So like that that has been overhanging. But I think we're moving. You know, if this was a giant franchise started in the Bush era, moving through the Obama era, like it, the way in which it's responding to the Trump era is going to be interesting. Do you know? So yeah, yeah. Um. All right. So let me let's just talk about a couple other things before we go. Uh. I I f- want to ask you about how you're feeling about like what's going on with Monica uh, in all of this. Well, I always get creeped out when stuff starts to be like, oh, your like molecules are changing, and and <laughs> I think about radiation poisoning, and yeah. not I don't think that changes your molecules. Maybe it does. I don't know. Um, I was a theater major, um, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I, it's my vague understanding that Monica Rambeau does become a sort of Captain Marvel-esque figure mm-hmm. in the world of all of this at some point in the comics, I think. And so I'm wondering if that's kind of what they're building toward, that this is not deteriorate, this change is not a deterioration, but a sort of heightened, quickened evolution of some kind. Um, I think that this you know, the, the the movie versions of the Avengers world is always trying to find some pseudoscientific explanation for at least why the earthbound people have magical powers or whatever, you know, it was, it was this experiment. It was that, that, you know, um, and so maybe this is an unwitting kind of experiment thing. I mean, no one is trying to do it to Monica. Well, I don't think, um, but it's having effects nonetheless. Um, so I think that's, kind of intriguing and i am intrigued who her friend is i mean the john krasinski thing is funny because like you know he was kind of like in the running for captain america however many years ago and and this feels like maybe it was this is could be not a consolation prize krasinski has done quite well for himself without marvel (laughs) but um you know just like ah come on in We, we got this for you um but yeah i really i hope that monica uh in whatever is happening to her like well, as this show proves with, you know, uh, Randall Park and Kat Dennings, like they have, they, they do have loyalty to their repertory company, you know? So I would have to imagine if they're giving all this space and time to Monica in this series, that they have, um, some pretty significant plans for her, uh, ahead. Yeah. We know already that she's in Captain Marvel too. And, right. you know, the, they make mention again of Carol Danvers in this episode. So, like, we have to think about how everything that Marvel is doing right now is also setting up, like, nine projects that they already have in the hopper, right? So so getting to know Monica here is going to make it so that when she's in Captain Marvel 2, those of us who watch this show already know her and are invested in her journey, right? Um I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. I don't know that it's John Krasinski. Uh, like, I was, I was... Very light on that theory last week, but when they doubled down again with another episode of saying, like, my guy, but not saying who it is, I'm like, it better be someone pretty good, honestly, to do that for two episodes in a row. So, um, and it would track so with the see. sitcom evolution. It would be fun to have if John they give him a Jim in- smirk to camera or something. Yeah. Yeah, it would be it would be ideal. Um, Anthony and I were talking about this last week. Do you remember that Randall Park played, um, like, replacement gym in one episode of the office he, oh, like it was like a, yeah. a gym prank where like he sat in to like torture dwight and stuff like that and pretended he was jim all along anyway that could be really fun um all right so we've got all that and and like my feeling about monica given the way that she keeps talking about wanda and given her own grief around her mother and stuff like that is that my thought is that if wanda loses 
control completely. She keeps, Wanda keeps talking about control. She loses control completely of whatever it is she's trying to do here. And she's trying to do it in some sort of ethical way. Um, that Monica, as someone who has experienced grief, could be instrumental in de-escalating Wanda by talking to her about grief and loss and how to actually process it versus living in denial. You know? Yeah. Like, that could be a really interesting de-escalation moment um, rather than like the right person punching the right person, you know? Something I was thinking about with the big ending, you know, the bubble expanding, um, further revealing that Wanda is like really, really powerful <laughs> uh, is, oh, she might die at the end of this, you know, like, like kind of like, I mean, in, in the very bad X-Men the last stand, like dark Phoenix kind of, slash Jean Grey does go away, you know? Um, and then I was like, wait, but no, but, but she, but Wanda's in the next Dr. Strange movie. And it's like, yeah, but which Wanda? Like if, if this is all multiverse right. stuff, like I kind of sure. feel like this one might die at the end of this because that would, you know, set her children up on a sort of like orphan's journey, mm. much like her and her brother. And then she could, you know, be with vision in eternity or however, you know, you want to look mm. at that. Um, which, but, but that wouldn't mean that Elizabeth Olsen's gone from the French, you know, the franchise, cause she could pop back up as a different version of herself. That's true. I mean, I do have on my list of questions to ask you, like, uh, can Wanda come back from this? There's a lot of conversation in this episode between Wanda and Peter Pietro about like, about the ethics she's using in creating this bubble universe that she's, he says, you know, you've kept families together, couples together, all personalities are not that far off from the original personalities. Everyone has a better job and you let the kids sleep through it, except for like, you know, basically he was like, where have all these kids been this whole time? And it's basically implied that they've just been sleeping when it wasn't like a holiday episode where you needed kids running around. Um, and so, you know, this idea of like, and she's like, really, do you think it's okay what I'm doing? You know, and I'm so I'm like, are, are they setting up a an ending where Wanda can come back from this and make amends and become a hero again? Or are they setting up an ending where she is the ultimate villain of Doctor Strange like that might be like those are the two possibilities right we either have a like a repentant oh, yeah. Wanda going into Doctor Strange 2 or we have uh, a super powered villainous Wanda going into Doctor Strange 2 or the third option which is what you mentioned which is like with the multiverse everything's on the table who knows you know yeah. so yeah I also think that the, the episode was careful to show you know that I think the conversation about the children was really interesting um, but also, you know, the woman with the tear running down her cheek and, uh, you know, yeah. Agnes clearly like these people are in like real like psychic pain, you know? Yeah. Like this isn't like they're in kind of emotional mental torment. And um, I, I that doesn't, you know, if you know, like you're talking about like a post 9-11 thing, like 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 th this is just compounding the trauma. And Wanda already had those kind of misgivings about what was it happened in Lagos or something, right? Like wasn't there? Yeah. You in know, Nigeria. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So like. There's all of this kind of compounded stuff of like Tony Stark can hang up the Iron Man suit and then I you know die in the cause you know in the in the fight for whatever uh or Captain America can willfully just you know give the shield to someone else and go back in time and live a normal life but like Wanda is so powerful and it's such it's something that's so within her that um there might not be any reconciliation with that. Now that people know what she can do, how could she ever uh, live, 
you know, among people again? I mean, that's, that is the question, you know, and it's, and it's a big one. And I, I am very curious to see how it handled. I would rather see a redemption for her than for her to go full villain and have to die. But um, we'll see if, if the show can figure out an answer because I, I think it's, I I still believe that there is someone else controlling all of this beyond Wanda. And so in that way, she could seem more of a victim than anything else. Do you know? We'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, cause Agnes in this episode, like, yes, she is seem seemingly like tortured, but also, you know, everyone's dressed as their comic book costumes. She's dressed as a witch in the opening uh, credits, she's got uh, the word "naughty" on her butt uh, in her in her very early aughts uh, <laughs> juicy pa- juicy yeah. pants, um, and uh, you know she's able to talk on the edge of town when everyone else is like uh, nonverbal and frozen. So there's just something like there's something else very much still going on with Agnes. Um, she's not just a victim is, is what I would say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, last couple things before we go, the kids getting their powers. Mm. So just to make sure that everyone like knows. So Tommy in the comic books is speed. He's the one who calls himself the cool twin. He's dressed like his uncle. They're both speedsters. So that's Tommy. And then Billy is known as Wiccan in the comics. Um, he is, he's, uh, you know, Tommy's bisexual Billy is uh homosexual so that's that's the kid that Richard and I have been talking about a lot. Uh his powers are a bit more vague, but they involve uh you know, he's much more like his mom, like telepathy, sort of able to move objects and stuff like that. So like he's got Like more... all gay people can. I have never shown <laughs> I've never shown that to you, but cuz it's like kind of a private thing, but yes. I can well, do thank all you. that. Thank yeah. you for pulling me into your inner circle. I really yeah. appreciate it. Um, do you want to say anything about the shark commercial or the hex swallow? Oh, well, the commercial we were going to, we were going to cover really quickly and say, uh, we got an email asking, um, a, a common theory about the couple that keep showing up in these commercials. Um, and they're not in this commercial unless they're voicing the shark. And I didn't know it, but like, um, is that, those people will wind up being Wanda's actual parents. So if we get, like I said, there was a lot of talk about parents in this episode. So if we get a reveal of Wanda's parents, it will be played by these two actors who we've seen in these commercials over and over again. And that will be a nice little bit of familiarity. So we aren't just like, who are these people? What are they doing here? Sort of thing. Um, That's uh, underlined a bit by the fact that especially though the woman in the seventies and eighties commercials has, classic Wanda hair from the comic books, this like long perm situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Uh, do you have any thoughts about the shark commercial itself, Richard? Well, Other it's than- telling obviously that like the thing turns into the kid turns into a skeleton, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that's th- that kind of decay is clearly on Wanda's mind. Uh, yeah. The it's, it's like the, the yogurt's called yo magic, I think. Right. And it's like snacking on y- your yo magic. And this idea of like, if you're starving here, feed on this magic. And so I have a couple theories about that. One is like, whoever's can, whoever instigated this hex thing is feeding off of Wanda's magic. Or, um, 
Wanda in her grief was looking for something to feed off of and, you know, is feeding off her own magic. But ultimately, that is not a sustaining thing to be feeding off of. Ultimately, you will die on that island, I guess. So mm-hmm. it's a very, a very dark commercial. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing, uh, the hex swallow. So the hex expands. Uh, I think, I think Jimmy and, uh, Monica stayed ahead of it. The, the sword director stayed ahead of it, unfortunately. But, uh, first in Cat Dennings, sitcom cat. Um, what do you think, Richard? Well, if they're going to move into like the kind of, you know, aughts or early 2010s, like, mockumentary thing she'd be good for that i mean she was on her own sitcom but that was more multicam and kind of i I don't i don't know that they would go a two broke girls route but they might you know if especially if what you said if things start to go screwy and you know all of her reference start references start to jumble more than they Mm -hmm. already have been Mm -hmm. um but yeah i thought that was like it was kind of a it was an exciting kind of visual and i would imagine that you know it was probably scary, <laughs> given that she knew that like this changes your molecular structure. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. was probably like, "Oh God, this is actually really bad." <laughs> I don't know if you were yeah. watching with the closed captions on; it was hard to hear with like the sound of the hex going. But like, yeah. she starts like an "Oh fuck," but it ends with fudge yes. as she gets swallowed by the hex. So yeah, that I, was, that really was cute. clever, and and all the people turning into clowns and and stuff. Yeah, the cir- the the sword circus. Um, yeah, so I don't know if she's going to be like part of the sword circus or my the- my pet theory had been that the hex would swallow sword and we would get like an office workplace comedy, like the you know the office. Uh, to go with like the modern family talk to camera stuff that was going to be going on with Wanda in the next, I believe in the next episode. Um, but uh, seeing it all turn into a circus m- sort of kills my sword office <laughs> theory, unless they do workplace comedy, but make it clowns, which they might. Um, but I thought that was like a really fun, um, you know, Wanda, uh, it's always fun, whatever Wanda turns things into. And she turned all these military tents into, uh, a circus that was that was uh, very clever mm-hmm. and, and like a, a a bunch of cars into a used car lot and stuff like that very clever stuff right at the end there um all right i think i think we did it unless there's anything else you want to mention well i was thinking about the multiverse thing do you think there's mm-hmm. any and maybe there are some ethical questions here do you think there's any way we'll get a scene where evan peters and aaron taylor johnson like kiss or anything I mean, I'm rooting for it. For you, I would love to make that happen. The Michael Fassbender's kissed in Alien Covenant, and that's owned by Fox, (laughs) which is now owned by Disney. So they can just take that trope, (laughs) throw it in here. Um, No. um, Oh, did we want to mention, by the way, a programming note about still watching about a special episode that we're doing? Are we we there yet? Let's do it. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. We're obviously continuing with uh, WandaVision through to the end, Um, but... There's a miniseries coming to HBO Max next week on the 18th uh, called It's a Sin that Joanna and I have both watched and loved so much uh, that we decided to do a special episode about it uh, on on the Still Watching feed. Um, so it's a bit of programming change. It's about um, a bunch of young Londoners in the early 80s dealing with the onset of the AIDS crisis. Um, no superheroes. Well, you know, there are... Extraordinary people in it, but not not magical people. Um, and yeah, we just really like it. So we're going to take a little um, detour to talk about that. Uh, I interviewed uh, one of the series stars, Ali- Alexander, and the creator, Russell T. Davies. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. It's going to be a different kind of episode, but um, I-, I hope it encourages people to watch It's a Sin because it's definitely worth watching. 
Yeah, so I think we're going to drop that. That that drops on as a binge, sort of on HBO Max, as as um, Richard mentioned on the 18th, which is the Thursday. Since we will have a Wandavision going up on the 19th, I think we're going to drop it a little later in the weekend. So give you all a chance to watch a couple episodes over the weekend and then hear um, you know Richard's great interviews. I'm so I haven't heard them yet. I'm so excited to hear them. Um, I, this miniseries is fantastic, and I really hope uh, you all check it out. So uh, we will be back next week with a, a couple episodes, including that that one-off covering Is a Sin. Um, and then before we say goodbye to Richard, um, I do want to circle back to your um, Evan Peters, Aaron Taylor Johnson wish, <laughs> and, men- and just just mention so I don't get any emails about it that there's a, a very cute, if a little too on the nose, like joke about the fact that Evan Peters and Aaron Taylor Johnson were both in the film Kick-Ass and there's a little moment where um, Evan Peters says Kick-Ass and then or or one of the kids actually says Kick-Ass and then Elizabeth Olsen sort of reflectively goes, huh, Kick-Ass and so I think that's, you know, that's that's the uh, show lampshading that. So I just wanted to say that so that no one said, I can't believe you didn't mention Kick-Ass joke. Well, there it is. We mentioned it, so. Well, I guess that um, means we can expect Chloe Moretz and Nicolas Cage to show up, you know? Yeah, Nick Cage is actually who Monica is going to well, go meet. Uh, and it will be Nicolas Cage, because he actually is stuck in a sort of multiverse situation, like right, the, real guy, the right. real guy is, so, yeah. Well, it'll be both Nicolas Cage and Ghost Rider, the character that he played right. uh, in an earlier Marvel film. Perfect. Okay. Well, well in that, uh, that, was, we, that was a documentary, though, so it's, again, it's still Nicolas Cage, but... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. All right. So Richard and I will be back uh, next week with WandaVision Episode 7 and It's a Sin. Richard, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh, my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect. Her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. Hello and welcome to part two of 
this very spooktacular episode of WandaVision. Uh, we are joined here, of course, by the great Anthony Bresdikin, uh, to talk about this Halloween episode, this Malcolm in the Middle episode of WandaVision. Um, I got a bunch of, I got a fresh crop of new theories. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, we're probably not getting Sword the Office, which was my favorite theory last week. Uh, now that Wanda has turned Sword into a circus, but, you know, maybe it maybe it'll be a circus office show. Who knows? Uh, but Anthony, is there anything off the top that you most are most dying to talk about uh, in this episode? Uh, we could still get it. I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that. I mean, everything changes week to week, right? The format, the sets, that's true. The costumes. That's true. So uh, you know, it was Halloween, and it was a very like Ray Bradbury esque. Uh, Halloween celebration in the town of Westview. So, you know, creepy circus fits right into that. Uh, but next <laughs> week, uh, next week will be different, maybe. We'll see. Um, we also got a little bit of a, uh, a Christmas story reference when Darcy gets swallowed by the hex and she goes, Oh, fudge. <laughs> <laughs> Very Disney Plus way of uh, allowing Darcy to express herself. Um, um but, yeah. But otherwise, exactly. yeah, I think uh I'm very curious about Agnes now because it seems like she may not be in on it or is she? Or is All right, let's start let's start with that theory of mine. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> I'm calling it I've I've taken notes this week. I'm calling it the nightmare hopping theory. Okay. So like last week we talked about the possibility that like the the character of Nightmare, uh this Marvel character who deals in like dreams uh, and feeding off people when they're in dreams and mm-hmm. stuff like that uh, might be behind it all. Might be that the Agnes character might be Nightmare or something like that. I'm working on a theory <laughs> about Nightmare still being uh, involved, but maybe hopping around from like different bodies. So like when he's in Agnes... um. And he's very, like, busybody neighbor, intrusive, intrusive, intrusive. Like, that's that's Nightmare there. Um, but, you know, if Nightmare's anywhere in this episode, he's definitely inside Quicksilver, right? Because he's just sort of like, how you doing all this? What, how's, this all, how's this all working? What's going on here? Yeah. Like, all this sort of stuff like that. So, like, I mean, I think it's supposed to make us very suspicious of, of Quicksilver, of Evan Peters' Quicksilver as, like, a villain and, and make Agnes look more innocent. But, like, I'm saying, like, what if it's just, like, one villainous thing sort of playing whatever character it needs to play in the moment. Do you know what I mean? Is that too yes. <laughs> too too bonkers for you? How do you feel? No, I think that's possible. And I think the key to this episode and maybe the whole series was the commercial this time around, which was a very 90s style kid kid show commercial with mm-hmm. the claymation. Yeah. Little boy stranded on a desert island. Muscular shark hops out to give him a, some sort of sugar-packed yogurt container, which he cannot open. And it's called Yo Magic, and the shark has is like, I knew what it was like to starve too, but now I eat Yo Magic. So it's mm-hmm. like, obviously, your magic. I think he's. Uh, I think there's a Pennywise thing sort of happening here, where if it's Nightmare or it's Mephisto or it's Agatha Harkness, this supernatural being is nourishing itself off of, um, off of Wanda's pain, and it's allowing yeah. her to create this little biosphere of fantasy. And it can harvest a lot of pain and a lot of yeah. suffering and nourish itself off of her magic. 
I think that's completely right. The, the, the word nightmare is used multiple times in this episode. Um, which, but so is a language about hell and hell spawn and stuff like that. So the, the people who think it's Mephisto got their crumbs this week. The people who think it's nightmare got their crumbs this week. So, you know, uh, keep, keep, Keep dreaming, folks. Keep theorizing. Um, the thing that I yeah. can't figure, you know, the hex that I can't square is that, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Agnes is so clearly wearing the brooch of Agatha Harkness. Yeah. You know, like that's such a direct tell. Yeah. If you know the comics. So to say then, no, she's just like a townie, that doesn't well, I, quite wash I, for me. I don't think she's a townie. Uh, like, I think that that Quicksilver is actually Quicksilver. And I think Agatha Harkness is, a- Agnes is actually Agatha Harkness. I just think those people might be like infected by nightmare from time to time. Like uh, Agatha, uh, she's, she's trying to get out of town. Right. So like, let's say, let's fo- let's follow my what if down a path. Right. Mm-hmm. What if Agatha Harkness has like, either made a deal with nightmare or been infected by nightmare or something like that, or they're playing with forces they can't um, truly handle. And so when she's in like busybody trying to, you know, make the twins grow faster, all this sort of stuff mode, that's a, that's a possessed Agatha. But let's say like nightmares, like I'm not getting everything I need. So I'm going to like inhabit this more trusted figure, this brother who can sort of wheedle and say, I'm your brother. You can tell me anything sort of stuff. Um, Freeing the real Agatha, the real Agnes from that. And she's like, I got to get out of here. Like as soon as she's free, she tries to get out of town is sort of where my mindset's going because, but when she's on Mm. the edge of town, she can, even before vision sort of wakes her up, she can speak in a way that the other people on the edge of town can't, you know, she's still saying stuff like, where's the town square? I got turned around, like all sorts of stuff like that, mm-hmm. which to me means like, she's more magical than your average town person. So I don't think she's a townie. I definitely think she's a witch, but I think she's a witch who might, who might be either a willing or unwilling participant with this more demonic force. Does that make any sense to you? It does. And I think she's dressed as a witch. That's her Halloween costume. Right, and everybody's right. costume, as you and I were chatting about before we started recording, mm-hmm. <laughs> is uh, reflective of like their origin and who they are. You know, all of the family is wearing, uh, you know, we've got Wanda in her classic Scarlet Witch outfit from the comics. Vision has the green and yellow costume. Quicksilver you know, creates the lightning bolt across the blue shirt look that he has from the comics. And I was uh, scratching my head about the other kid and you reminded me of Wiccan. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because like last week, Agnes said that thing where she was like, Oh, you can't raise the dead. Like that was a, that was a moment where it seemed like she was sort of breaking character. And she was like, you can't raise the dead. Like she thought Wanda could or something like that. And, Mm -hmm. And then she's trying to get out of town. Like I, I have questions about that. Um, but but I I was rewatching all the episodes like a totally normal person would do. And um, in the in the episode where Wanda delivers the babies, I think it's really interesting that Agnes does not go inside the house in that episode. She's always inside the house, and she doesn't go inside the house in that episode. And mm. instead, there's that like stork just sort of like bopping around. She's just like she's at the hedge. And she's not inside the house. And um, I just, I feel like 
whoever is the villain of the series will always find a way to get inside the house, whether it's through Agnes, uh, Pietro, Peter, or this like stork thing that that just sort of manifested out of nowhere like that there it will always be in like inside wanda's like sanctuary do you know what i mean that's sort of something i've been thinking about huh huh intriguing we didn't get an animal (laughs) this time did we uh yeah unless you count the claymation shark we did not get an animal so um yeah it's, it's it's interesting that brings me to this other um theory i have this is my this is my big brain theory for the week um and this is the parent trap theory is what i'm calling it so the parent trap is one of the movies that's playing uh on the marquee in in the town square Mm -hmm. right um the presumably the the 94 nancy myers movie uh but maybe it's the the Haley mills version whatever it might be uh a movie about twins uh what fun um, there's a lot of mention of of Wanda and Pietro's parents in this episode, um, and I don't know if you noticed yeah. this, but Pietro has a has a mom tattoo mom. on his arm. Yeah, that's actually Evan Peters' real tattoo, but but in usually they would cover up a tattoo like that, but they definitely left it out there, like seemingly for a reason. So um, I have like a big Wanda's mom uh, theory cooking in my brain. Um, are you are you interested in hearing it, Anthony? I'm Resnick? braced. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay, so I don't know if you read Scarlet Witch, the 2015 Scarlet Witch, written by James Robinson, but uh, no relation to me. But it was uh, cited um, along with House of M and the Vision and Vision Quest, these various comics we've been talking about, as an inspiration for the series. And in that series. Wanda meets her mother on this sort of psychic space. Wanda and the ghost of Agatha Harkness are trying to figure out there's something wrong with witchcraft in the world. And they're trying to like fix it and heal it. And they go into this sort of psychic space called the witch's road. And on the witch's road, uh, Wanda meets her real mom who is not some random, you know, Sokovian lady, but uh, a woman named Natalia, who is the original Scarlet Witch. So her mom is the original Scarlet Witch, and she meets her in this, like, psychic space. And she's dressed like, um, she's sort of dressed like the Scarlet, the classic Scarlet Witch costume that uh, Elizabeth Olsen is wearing this episode. But, like, make it Romanian Gypsy instead. Mm-hmm. And uh, something that Elizabeth Olsen told me in her interview uh, that she did on on still watching a couple weeks ago was that originally for the Halloween episode she wasn't going to be wearing this costume, which is the Scarlet Witch comic book costume. She was going to be wearing a sort of Romani gypsy esque fortune teller costume, and they switched it to this one instead. And she calls it a Sokovian fortune teller costume, but you're looking at it, and you're like. Pink tights? Okay, sure. I I don't know right. the Sokovian culture, but sure. So I just feel like, um, you know, and there's that theory that the couple that we keep seeing in the commercials are actually like Wanda and Pietro's parents. So I just have this feeling that Wanda's mother was actually a witch, a powerful witch, the Scarlet Witch, perhaps, and uh, that maybe she knew Agatha Harkness. And like, you know, maybe Agatha, Agatha, who keeps calling herself Auntie A, Aunt Agatha, actually knew Wanda's real mom. 
That's my parent trap theory. What do you what do you think? How many episodes do we have left? <laughs> I know. No, no, I know. We've got three episodes left. They're I think they're gonna be longer in running time. Yeah, okay. In that we case, have- yes. I think that's I mean it's like it gets to be a, a kind of labyrinth, but I'm down for it. I think you're onto something. I like the theory about the couple they I mean there's a reason they're using the same couple in the right. uh commercials. Uh, although apart from this shark one. And I guess the bubble bath one, right? Or was it? No, the they're in the actors? bubble bath one. They are? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I like it. I'm down for it. I it's, think it's interesting to me that uh, in an interview, Catherine Hahn uh, said that, like, when she was looking for inspirations for her character, uh, you know, she she mentioned like various wacky neighbors and Ethel and stuff like that. But she also mentioned Endora from Bewitched mm-hmm. as like an inspiration. There's also that that stuff in last week's episode where they've noted that Wanda seems to have like leveled up in their in her powers. And yes. as we know in the comics, Agatha is sort of like the one who trains. So like my idea is that Agatha and Wanda's mom were like witch friends, and Wanda trying to learn out learn more about herself, or maybe Agatha proactively goes searching out her friend's daughter uh, to educate her about her powers, whatever latent powers she might have that are that are not related to the Mind Stone or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I can definitely see that. Right. And this, yeah, the Sokovia stuff just keeps coming up, like in every episode, even in the Dick Van Dyke episode. You know, like Vision's like, "Oh, my wife's from Europe." Like this is a Sokovian yeah. tradition. You know, like the Sokovia stuff, which has been sort of sidelined, just keeps. I just feel like you know we got a flash to Wanda and baby Wanda and Pietro like trick or treating. I just feel like we're going to Sokovia. I feel like that's true. I feel like we're gonna get like Monica, like a sort of flashback episode where we're going to find out how it is that that agnes slash agatha harkness like hooked up with wanda in the first place um so i don't know i definitely think you're onto it i I mean good theory i always think i'm onto it and i'm (laughs) I'm often wrong so we'll see but you know no the only thing i think is you know the guardrails on these theories are remember that marvel likes to throw easter eggs in for the diehard yes. comics fans but totally. they never really plumb the depths of totally. uh, of the uh relationships or the conspiracies or what have you like uh it's never quite as deep as we like to project um when when they're you know when the ultimate plot is finally revealed but uh but you know this is their first attempt at a tv show and they have a lot more space, a lot more runway to explore. It's not just a two-hour movie or two-hour-plus movie. So I think, you know, why not delve a little deeper into these two characters, um, Vision and, and Wanda, and well, you know, and then Wanda and Pietro. It, it's, uh, I think that would be a worthwhile use of the time. Something that um, our producer Dave was bringing up to me when I was like, um, you know, badgering him with this theory of mine is that we're in a phase of Marvel where there is sort of a reckoning with like yeah. bad parents and parenting. Is like like if you think of Ultron or Tony Stark as mm-hmm. Vision, Vision's sort of like bad dad. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if Wanda has like a you know a, a witch mom who might be good or might be bad or whatever, but just like this reckoning with your parents and the generation that came before and the fallout mm-hmm. of of reckless power and all this sort of stuff like that, and especially as Wanda, it, it you know. Uh, something that I've heard, you know, my friends who have kids talk about is like this Mm -hmm. idea that like when you become a parent, that's when you really have to reckon with 
who your parents were, right? Uh, or it can be an opportunity to do that. And so this idea that like Wanda as a mom, uh, and how that might connect thematically to like her mom uh, and and provide an opportunity for Monica to connect with her because she lost her mom. Like there's all this like parent stuff sort of in the in the air here that I think is interesting, you know. I definitely think that's <laughs> um true in terms of like having kids and reckoning with your own family and your own yeah. history. Um I think kids can often be your attempt to uh uh, you know, you introduce them to the things you love and you hope they love them too, but also you hope to steer them away from the things that you wish you could change about yourself. You know, they really are little mini me's. <laughs> and then sometimes you see your own characteristics that you don't love turn up in them and you just hope like, well, maybe you, you'll be different, you know? And of right. course, um, every parent messes up too. Just, uh, it's the imperfection of it all. But I think, uh, boy, we are going deep, right? It's so full here. This is a so full episode, very special well, episode of I'm, you know, still I'm, watching. <laughs> I'm hopeful that mm-hmm. they have room for all of that. You know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. they have said that they had six hours of story to tell, and we that leaves actually a lot of room left for them if they wanted to do some supersized episodes mm-hmm. uh, and really delve into Wanda's mind and and you know, uh, the, the witchy history and all, and all of that sort of stuff. I keep thinking about in the opening to the, uh, family ties episode, we see a shot of Westview, New Jersey from like horse and buggy times. So like, you know, I don't know what sort of like history we're going to go into anywhere. I just, I just think there are a lot of options. Um, so let's talk about, let's talk about vision. Like I kind of see this as like a two pronged attack. On Wanda and Vision. I feel like there's a supernatural attack happening on Wanda. Someone's feeding off of her. Someone's manipulating her. Something's going on. Yeah, she's not fully in control. She's maybe powering this, but she's not necessarily in control. So there's that. But then there's there's who's after Vision. And I think that becomes much clearer in this episode. We talked about it a little bit last week. But like... You know, if you read the the Avengers West Coast Vision Quest comic from 2005, um, where Wanda finds Vision in a million pieces on a table somewhere and loses it about that. You know, and we saw that surveillance footage of, of Wanda finding, vi- you know, pieces of Vision in the in the sword uh, complex. This idea of like what director Hayward is interested in uh, in terms of Vision, like what's what's your sense of what's going on here? Hmm. It's funny because every time there's a new episode, I feel like my my guess about what's going on shifts. Which you is know? okay, I think. Which I think is like a testament to the show is that a lot of times I find I've just watched so many films and TV shows that I can kind of see where they're going uh, and I can gauge from the foreshadowing what ultimately is going to happen. And usually I'm right. And in this case, I think it... It's a testament to the freshness of the show that we really can't quite pin it down. And we're still guessing, as you say, you said there's like six hours left of... No, I think a little less than three hours, I think. Oh, a little less than three yeah. hours. Like, like I would say if they wanted to, they could do three 50-minute episodes with the running time they have left. I think that's yeah. right. You know, and I think... Um, I Yeah, I have to say, I think it's a testament to the showrunners that they've managed to keep us uh 
keep us unaware but still interested all this time. So, you know, I kind of, as I was watching this show, started to like, I mean, we, we're doing this program and this podcast, so we we have to analyze it. And, I, and I, I definitely have that like program running in the background. But more and more, I'm just like, I'm just like ready to let go and just let this show carry me wherever it wants to go <laughs> because it is uh-huh. so intriguing. Yeah. And I find that like sometimes you can just push a little too hard in your own mind as you're trying to analyze it and guess where things are going. Um, but, um, yeah, it's got me, it's got me a little, uh, uh, mesmerized, charmed, I guess you might say. (laughs) And sorceled. Um, can I, I mean, like, does it bother you? Does it bother you if I like overanalyze? No, 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 no. That's how my brain enjoys things. So, um, it it usually is how I enjoy things. Yeah. I yeah. I, I find it thwarted so often that I'm like, okay, like this, uh, and I keep thinking like, oh, maybe it's just not going to be that big a reveal. Like it's like totally. oh, you're being manipulated, right, by scrolls or something. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, totally. Like I think something that I've learned over the years, you know, and I've been doing these like theory shows for a long time, like Westworld and stuff like that. Is like you need to. I used to feel really stressed uh, if something that I was guessing about was wrong. I try not to go too like wild with my guesses, though sometimes I do. But like, I think if you let go of like the fear of being wrong, then it's just can be like a- and even more importantly, I think not being disappointed if it doesn't align with the theory that you've built up in your head. Cause I think that can be a danger of a theory show, right? That you've built up some big, grand, huge idea and Marvel's like, keep it st- simple, stupid. Like we're just trying to tell a story people can actually understand. We don't need to bring in like mm-hmm. ancient Sokovian witches and like massive government conspiracy theories and stuff like that. So like that's th- that's the cautionary, I think, around the speculation. But if you can keep those things in check, I think it can just be really fun week to week to let your imagination and and the clues, the Easter eggs, the the breadcrumb trails that they drop. You know, it's fun to snack on those uh, yeah. between episodes. You know, so definitely. So, what seems very evident, at least in this episode, is that director Hayward is uh, interested in vision more than Wanda. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about the fact that this that sword in the as it existed in the comic books before this show was sentient world observation and response department. But what it's called in the show is sentient weapon observation response division. And um this idea that like perhaps sword and as Hayward uh mentions like in response to the trauma of the blip was looking to rebuild Vision's body in order to build their own super weapon, which was exactly what Vision didn't want to have happen to his body, right? Mm -hmm. That he become a weapon. So this idea that Hayward is, is pretending that this is about Wanda in any way when really it's just about him getting Vision back because that's his primary objective, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Something that when when Darcy goes hacking into the computer, uh, she finds a project called Project Cataract. And those are the files she emails to Jimmy before she gets sucked into the hex, right? Cataract (laughs) uh, is a word that means, you know, like impaired vision, right? Like that's that's what the word cataract means. Um, It's about 
you know, it's a, it's a, it's a flaw in your vision. It's a, like a broken vision sort of thing. Um, so this, and there's been interest throughout the series in Vision's body. Like I'm thinking of episode two when there's like the gum in the works of his body. Like this idea of like what's holding Vision together. He falls apart as soon as he walks out of the hex. Like is it he's is he is he reanimated by Wanda's magic? Is there a way in which Sword can figure out how to replicate that? Like is that something they're interested in? To me, it just seems really really uh, clear that they want Vision's body for probably what they think is, uh, you know, national defense purposes, but, but playing with fire in a way that would disturb certainly Vision and certainly Wanda. Do you know what oh, I mean? Without a doubt. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that part I think is pretty clear. They're, okay. They want him. They're tracking him. Yeah. As she notes uh, there. Um, and the way he starts to break down, he's pulled back into the hex uh, as we were again discussing before the show, yeah. I thought it was interesting that the that the uh, movie marquee in the background uh, shows that they're uh, uh, double feature of uh, the Incredibles and the Parent Trap. You've already talked about the Parent Trap aspect of it and mm-hmm. well, how this connects back to Wanda and Pietro's mom and dad. Uh, but the Incredibles part, I mean, obviously like superhero family, right? That's uh, kind of uh, right there on the surface. But when Vision was, you know pulling out of the hex and was drawn back like his cape was sort of like the thing that the hex was holding on to yanking back and i just kept thinking of like no capes like the danger <laughs> of capes from the incredibles as uh as warned uh by uh by edna mode <laughs> and uh and yeah. then like he just kept getting pulled back piece by piece into the hex and then of course the hex expands and swallows him again and he's made whole so it wasn't it didn't feel like he was being destroyed as much as he was being reclaimed. Um Yeah, I yes. mean that's 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 certainly possible that like it was just a sucking back in rather than a falling apart um sort of thing. But it it feels to me like Wanda is afraid for him to leave the hex like he can't survive out of the hex like at the end of that episode when he's like you know uh we can go anywhere and she's like nope this is our home now. Yeah. Like I feel like he can't exist outside of the bubble, at least in his current form. No, I, um, I think you're right. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Uh, let me see. I wrote it down as I was rewatching who they brought in along with Darcy. Um, initially, um, it was like, oh, uh, I, a biologist, artificial intelligence, chemical engineer. Like, you know, an AI is something that, that, the director mentions they're super preoccupied with at sword. So, you know, like they, they want vision and they want to weaponize vision. And that is something Wanda absolutely would not want to let happen. So that's just all I mean by this, like sort of two pronged attack. You've got like sort of a mystical something feeding off of Wanda and you've got this more science forward governmental threat to vision. Uh, So coming at them, uh, you know, some people, there are theories that those two powers are working together. I don't know that I agree with that, though it's possible. But like either way, they're 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 being hit on on two sides at this point. Um, is sort of all that I'm trying to say. I mean, I am I am willing to go one step galaxy brain further and say one of my favorite bonkers brains uh, theories that I saw 
is that someone mentioned that oh let me look up what the what the uh anagram is for um but the people who build the sentinel the sentinel program in marvel which is a an x-men associated thing um but that the acronym for that um is yeah is one um o-n-e and so uh one division Hmm. uh someone came up with yeah which i thought was just like pretty brilliant um i don't i don't know that it's true but it's pretty fun and brilliant to think about so yeah, just just this idea of uh, all of that. Okay, let's talk about mutants. All right, so we've got we've got Monica going in and out of the of the hex has done something to her body. We've talked before about this about like the fact that she might that she will become like a photon slash spectrum super powered character mm-hmm. possibly because of it. Um, but does that open up the possibility that anyone inside the hex, or certainly anyone who is who who goes through the barrier like Darcy just did, like might become super powered? And is that superpower almost like a mutanty kind of wow power? Yeah. What do you think? It's literally a mutation. She says you've gone through twice and it's changed your body on a cellular mm-hmm. level, which is a mutation. Yeah. Right. right. So the question, I, I think in X-Men, it's always just been sort of like a natural thing, like an, an evolutionary trait. And uh, I mean, if the hex expands and swallows the world and some people get mutated by it and some people don't, well, that that would explain the mutation. Right. And that would explain the existence of X-Men, except X-Men requires that we have characters who go back ages, you know, like Wolverine to... Uh, you know, to maintain some continuity. I think you, you can't have a new Wolverine. Part of Wolverine's charm and appeal is that he's somewhat of an ancient, immortal kind of creature. So, um, yeah, I mean, we definitely are seeing uh, a mu- mutation effect from the Hex, but uh, I don't know if that... I don't know, would you be satisfied by that if that was the explanation for how mutants turn up in the MCU? I don't know. Someone mentioned that uh Kamala Khan lives in New Jersey. So mm. if if the hex bubble goes wide enough, could that be the origin of her powers? Would I be satisfied with that? I mean like what it would require is that we not revisit those legacy characters in the way that that it felt like ev- the arrival of Evan Peters sort of promised that we might be. So, um, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I'm open to it as a possibility. I think it would be interesting. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's a possibility, but I don't think it's a certainty, I guess is what yeah. I would say. Um, so. did you make note that when she sees Quicksilver as a, as a corpse with yeah. bullet holes in him, that he looks like, um, Evan Peters rather than Aaron Taylor Johnson? Yeah. I I mean, I, I honestly could not tell you what's going on exactly there. It's hard yeah. to track. You know what I mean? Because like... <laughs> that's, where, that's, why I think, that's why I think I've somewhat relented on my analysis of it. Because I'm just like, all right, roll with it. See where this is going. Where are you going to drop me off? If... Let's say... Let's say it's Nightmare. Like, it, behind everything. Would this, like... 
I mean, so, so, you know, we keep hearing like what, like cheer up sleepy gene, like this, this like dream sort of idea, but like in showing these, the death of, of people, like, like the corpses of the people that she cares about most, isn't that the dream turning into a nightmare for Wanda? And isn't that like, wouldn't that sort of like jump her grief up and like (laughs) feed whatever's potentially feeding off of her? I don't know. But I agree with you. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, there is a world in which they wanted Aaron Taylor Johnson for this and he wasn't available. Do you know what I mean? But it is weird to me that they showed us the Aaron Taylor Johnson bullet wounds on the Evan Peters body. Like, that is, that's hard for me to track what that means. Do you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's, it's it's true. Maybe I should just let go and let it, let it wash on over me. <laughs> um... <laughs> But I'm so bad at letting things go. Um, lastly, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't have much else that I want to talk about. Um, I talked to Richard about this already, but like the fact that they spent two episodes in a row hyping up this like guy that Monica's going to go meet, and she said guy this week. So unfortunately, I think that means our Riri Williams theory is out the window. It really feels to me like this is going to have to be a big deal for even more casual fans. Yeah, you think? I don't know. Like. For her to to keep it mysterious for two episodes in a row, like why would why would they do that if not to like hype it up? What do you think? Yeah, and and then there's that thing where she said there was going to be some epic cameo. Like, I don't know. I'm kind of back <laughs> on the John Krasinski bandwagon. It's possible. I don't know. You think? I don't hmm. know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like I just feel like my instincts tell me that has to be something kind of like a a a a, a popular theory right now is that it's Blue Marvel who's this character who is who is Monica's love interest in the comics and stuff like that and and he is a scientist and he might fit the bill here. Um but like I just don't think that that would be an oh my god, I can't believe it moment for anyone other than like very devoted comics fans and maybe that's who they're trying to cater to in that moment but like why spend two episodes sort of like hyping whoever this person might be up you know yeah speaking of old songs i keep thinking of like why would you build me up just to let me down <laughs> right like <laughs> so uh they're hype they're definitely you know making uh, building some suspense with that yeah right and so it better pay off and maybe that's the actor that Ben, uh, that, uh, um, that Paul Bettany's talking that about. That Paul Bettany hinted at, somebody mm-hmm. he was dying to work with. Hmm. Maybe. I don't, I don't have a, like, I don't have a great answer for it. I just feel Is like it, it uh, and I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but I just feel like it has to be like something, a moment, you know, for it to be hyped in that way, you know, so, or, yeah. or maybe I'm just overanalyzing. So it's possible. Uh, I, I tend to do that. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Like, how do you feel about like the way in which they're developing the kids and their powers? Like, uh, how is that working out for you? It makes me sad. And there's a lot of talk about kids in this episode um, where they've been. They kind of imply that she's just sort of kept them in stasis. And, uh, you know, her brother or whoever is animating him is a, uh, talking about like the ethics of that and yeah yeah you know how you've kept couples together and the personalities are basically the same um 
and the kids, so if they're new creations and they're just sort of being grown in this uh, greenhouse of the hex, makes me sad for them. Like it's they they they're clearly they clearly have feelings and they seem to be real people, not sort of evil avatars. So um, so yeah, I don't I don't know. I I like how they're developing, and um. I just think it's a strange, I mean, talk about like not having a real childhood, right? <laughs> it's sort of, uh, what we're seeing happen with them, but also that's what happens with, uh, vision, right? Remember his famous line from Age of Ultron as well. I was born yesterday, you know, uh, or born last week or whatever it is that he says, um, indicating his sort of new existence. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm okay seeing where they go from here. Are they going to grow up fast? Are they going to be humans or uh, humans? I think they're <laughs> they going to be. be <laughs> I think they're going to be teens soon. That Are they going to be, be adults guess. by the yeah. time this show ends? I think oh, we're going to get were... teens, so that you know they could be young Avengers age. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I'm a little bit curious. There was one line that we haven't discussed mm. that that Herb says uh, when you know he's dressed as Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. He's like the neighborhood watch, and he's like. You know, there are all these little moments where they break the fourth wall, or I don't know if, yeah, I guess it's the fourth wall, and the audience is now the fifth wall. <laughs> but, like, he's like, is, do you need me to change something for you? And, like, that made me wonder, like, is he just asking, like, do you need me to do something different? Or is he somehow in control? Is he, mm. you know? Uh, he was the one who was cutting through the wall with the hedge clippers, yeah. right? So, like, you know... Was he just asking, like, as a performer, or is he the producer, right? <laughs> Do you need something different? <laughs> I'm not question. quite sure. Uh, speaking of um, titles, um, I do think it's interesting that, you know, the head of S.W.O.R.D. is referred to as the director, if we're talking about, like, who's engineering, who's who's controlling a TV show, isn't it the mm-hmm. director, you know, sort of thing. That's a good yeah. question about Herb. You know, I was rewatching that scene with Herb and Agnes in um, episode three at the hedge, uh, where he's like, they're trying, kind of trying to talk about Monica to Vision, but also constrained by whatever it is that Wanda has sort of like blocked them on or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, he says, you know, she's here because we're all... And then Agnes gives him, like, a real don't say it look. Mm-hmm. You know? Hmm. <laughs> um, so, for, for me, I think Herb is just, like, constantly trying, kind of struggling out from under the control. Maybe he's the controller. That would be a fun twist. But for me, I feel like he's just one of those characters who keeps sort of trying to keep struggling out of the yeah. mu- muzzle that's been put on them. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, I think maybe that's so. more accurate. Um, all right. Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, the kiddos, Pietro. I mean, I just, I do think this was like a really, really fantastic recreation of an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. Like, the middle. yeah, just the wild, tone. You know, right down. Yeah, I love the way they're combining. Um, the goofy, like the feel good elements of a sitcom with, and they bring in the disturbing parts. So you almost don't realize how weird it is until it's really weird. <laughs> you know, it's that sort of bopping, 
uh, snare drum music of uh, that keeps things very light while Vision is exploring the town and, and seeing sort of the, the people on the periphery who aren't being uh, as active. They're just a little bit more like uh, a matte painting <laughs> frozen in time. And like it has the kind of fun Malcolm in the Middle music, and yet it's this haunting sequence, and the music gradually fades down. And I thought that was very well done. They, they do yeah. a great job of of breaking down the uh, the tone of the shows that they're spoofing. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, it's a really it's inventive just... show. I really have to say, I, yeah, I, I love that they've. They've really gone for it here and used their imaginations to come up with something that's new. This is not your traditional superhero show, so it's um, it's really working. And the fact that it's thrown us for such a loop, <laughs> despite our best efforts to crack the code, is a real testament to, I guess, uh, the writers, is it, uh, Jack Schaefer, and uh, you know the whole team at Marvel that came up with this show. Yeah, I'm really excited to see, you know, presumably next week is the sort of Modern Family Office direct address to camera episode. And I think that I'm also really excited to see what they potentially do with that. But I think in terms of, I mean, I think I, I, I loved the Dick Van Dyke show episode. I love the Bewitched episode. But I think in terms of just like, just really thoroughly nailing something that I wasn't even sh- like, I guess it's different to see a pastiche of something that you've like lived through. Right. And so I just, I got like a visceral, <laughs> like in my, the cells of my body memory of 90 sitcoms while watching, like, especially the opening sequence of this. Like, there's that one shot where, like, the boys are talking about Uncle Pietro and he's on the, 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 the couch asleep and the camera's just like, focused in on him there in soft focus in the background and he opens his eyes and he's it's just like perfect it was perfect yeah 90 sitcom stuff so yeah was, yeah that great. technique of the split is it called the split diopter where yeah, they're the actually diopter. two separate yeah, shots yeah. like yeah merged together so you have like everything in focus like is also like really i i always love seeing those shots in movies like they kind of stick out they're not that common anymore but like um yeah, that is sort of the language of uh of the Malcolm in the Middle sitcom and um yeah, I, I dug it. All right. Well, I mean, I think I think we did it. I think we'll see what's next in store for us uh on on WandaVision. We will try our best to to figure out or just let it <laughs> just let it wash over us. Either way, we're enjoying it. So, that's that's WandaVision. All right, well, that's it for us this week. You can always email us, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Sorry, I didn't get to more of your emails this week, uh, the, but they're all fantastic. I love hearing everyone's theories and thoughts. And 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 uh, please send more kind and loving words uh, towards Anthony Brezd again. We got a <laughs> lovely email about him this week that I forwarded over and it made his day. So, you know, send oh, those yeah. over. Stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can find Richard on Twitter at Viola's. Anthony Brezkin, where can folks find your great work? Uh, if me they're looking away this week. At, yeah. I'm on VanityFair.com writing away. And Perfect. anybody out there who can help us crowdsource, what is the film in the background of the Town Square mm. scare? It looked like kind of, some kind of zombie film. I couldn't tell if it's Plan 9 from Outer Space or Night of the Living Dead. I was trying to freeze frame it and figure it out, but it has eluded me. So uh, if anybody out there knows, give us a shout. 
All right. Well, shout us out. Still watching pot at gmail.com or you can, you can tweet at me or something like that. And, uh, until next week, stay safe in your Halloween <laughs> tours of a haunted neighborhood. And we will see you next week. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.